Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey everyone, how y'all doing out there today? I am delighted to be here, your host, Jay Kevin McHugh, host of Sheer Clarity. We are uh, having a great time just producing podcasts about you as a leader. We're getting lots of great feedback, lots of opportunities and topics coming up for the future. Today's topic is going to be a lot of fun because we are going to talk really a lot about a very important guy in this whole operation. His name is Matthew Passy. And Matthew has signed up to be a guinea pig for the use of a behavioral assessment, which is going to tell us everything we wanted to know about Matthew. We've already been learning about him, I'm guessing, after listening for a while. By the way, let's say hello. Hi, Matthew. How are you doing, buddy? Are you ready? Hi, Kevin. <laughs> you know, I thought this was a great idea last week that I'll do a personality <laughs> assessment. And now that the results are in and we got to talk about it. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Now, this will be good. I don't know either. I mean, I really don't know. This is like really going to be interesting for sure. Yeah. So, you know, let's do the context real quick here. So in my coaching work, I know people are made up in a certain way. And there's a lot I've learned in the 25 years of doing this. It's more than just some kind of disc assessment. There's a lot going on underneath the hood of every human. But the assessment itself has been in use for a long, long time. Some of the original work around personality assessment goes back to the 50s. A guy created what I think he called it the PF16, the personality factor 16. And He ends up essentially going through the dictionary and grabbing all the descriptive adjectives that could describe human behavior. And he starts trying to put them into buckets, you know, so that he can begin to see, are there distinct kind of patterns and groupings of words which continuously define the same thing? And that's where he ended up with his PF-16. There were 16 categories. As time went on, others came along and they refined it. And now they have it in four constructs. And those four constructs are natural in the way they occur. And there's four more the way you perceive. In the assessment that Matthew gave, we added, it's a two-part assessment. In addition to his personality behaviors, which is how he likes to roll. We also snuck in there some work by a guy named Edward Spranger, who was interested in what motivates people, like what are the underlying value systems and uh, beliefs that they hold. And so when you put together a person's behavioral predispositions and wiring, add to that the influence of what they value and hold important, you can get a pretty nice picture of where someone is coming from. Call that your your true north, if you will. So when we were talking about this, Matthew, a while ago, and we said we should do an episode on it. And then, of course, last week we said, let's pull the trigger. (laughs) (laughs) You decided to do this. 
we're going to try to do this podcast 25 minutes as we normally do. So I'm going to kind of run you through for the audience sake, just what I normally do. I mean, this is what I do when I go over profile and I think we should just dive into it. One thing I thought was interesting about the assessment, and I want to just add this caveat in advance. You know, I talked about how I'm concerned with personality assessments that in behavioral assessments that you're self-surveying. And so people tend to not falsify, but, you know, it's tough to evaluate yourself fully, transparently, and honestly. And I thought the way that this was laid out was done really, really well. With the exception of the one frustration is it would ask a question, it would give you five terms or phrases or something, and you would rank them by most likely to least likely. And I found that there were a few questions, I can't remember exactly where, you know, I would look at all the answers and be like, well, that's least likely, but that's still very much likely. And so it was frustrating to <laughs> rank something that I knew was important to me, but was still five on the potential list of characteristics. So <laughs> that was one piece that I thought was just interesting. And, you know, I don't know, it probably doesn't change the results or how you're going to look at it. But no, I just thought no. that was something that stood out to me. And it also actually is a reflection. I like that response to doing it. Not everyone has that. You did. Like, the way your mind is working and the way you're wired, you would pick that up. Yeah. There was a dissonance there that it was showing up for you and like triggering you to process it. And that was like kind of a funky feeling. There are other people who never have that feeling. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Thanks, everyone. It's been a great episode. We'll yeah, see you next week. We're, sure we're done. Our work is done here. We just gave you Matthew in two sentences. Uh, all right. Rip the bandaid <laughs> yeah, off. Let's, it's off. Let's do it. It's off. So, anyway, so let's do this. This is what I do with folks right away. The first thing I try to tell them is here's the thing about these profiles you got a couple rules of the game. You can't have a good one or a bad one. There's no value judgment around this stuff. They're just profiles. They're just data that a pretty well-tested and validated system has produced. There's the data. There's the stuff. And there's no great profiles and no crappy profiles, no super this, super that. They're just profiles. So I don't like anybody getting in a box. Now, with that said... If you have a behavioral disposition or predisposition in the world of work, it just makes sense for you to sort of be in the kind of role where that predisposition works to your advantage, meaning how you roll is also very close to what is required in the work. As a consequence, you just behave naturally and you end up getting success. It's only when you're fighting against your natural behaviors that it becomes a problem. But there's no perfect job and there's no perfect profile. So almost everyone has to work through some conflict. It's just a question of whether it's 20% of the job or 80% of the job. It makes a difference. So first things first, no good or bad profile. And the second thing is you're in charge of whether or not it's accurate. It's that simple. It's that basic. 
this particular report. This is done by a company called TTI, Target Training International. I've used a number of these over the years. There's the disc formatting is used by many, many, many companies, and they have their own way of writing the reports and their own way of administering them. And actually, the reason I use this product is I've used so many of them. The report writing for these guys is exceptional. When people read the instrument, for the readers, they don't know this, but I think Matthew has about 47 pages to read through here. And so we keep taking the same data and reworking it into tactically useful formats. How to communicate, how are you motivated, what are your conflicts, what are your weaknesses, all that stuff. It's just laid out page after page in a lot of different ways, just so you can consume the info from a lot of different angles. And with this in hand, you don't need any special training. You can just read it and work through it and make a few notes. And with that said, I usually ask the first question after setting the stage, how did it sound to you? When you read it, did you identify with its validity? Did it seem to capture you as best you understand yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And I've been doing a lot of introspective looking at myself lately, and it pretty much nailed it. I mean, there wasn't much in here that I looked at and I said, that's way off base. I don't necessarily like all these things about me, which is a different, <laughs> it's a different issue, no, no. but they're not wrong. Are you telling me you're not buying into me telling you there's no good or bad profile? Come on. <laughs> no, no. It, like you said, it's not that it's a good or bad thing. It's just seeing these things on paper, you know, you don't think about yourself. You don't assess yourself sometimes the same way that others assess yourself. And so- to see this stuff, again, not that it's good or bad, it's just, uh, I kind of thought of myself as that, but no, this is right. Yeah. But, you know, before we recorded, we were getting into another piece that where I did disagree. I don't see it here yet, but I think there's going to be one spot where I disagree with this, but I think for the most part, it pretty much nailed it. Yeah. Good. So, uh, And I'm going to share these results, by the way, everyone. This will be in the show notes. Uh, uh, you'll be able to read my assessment, whether or not that's a good idea or not, it will be there on display for the world. Yeah. What I like to do is when I get, what you just gave me is what we call face validity so that the person who completed it, looked at it, read it and said, you know, I can pick up a couple of things here and there where I may have had a little dissonance, but uh, gotta say it's pretty well got me. I've never done this. I should put like a big warning label on the uh, report when it comes out. Share with spouse or significant other with great caution. <laughs> because I've heard so many <laughs> war stories over the years. Like people will come with it. I said, is it right? And they go, oh yeah, it's right. And by the way, I showed it to my spouse and she spent the whole night going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like that. You're like that. You're like that. I had one guy tell me his wife looked up and said, I don't know how much you paid for this, but I hope it wasn't too much because I could have told them everything. <laughs> I could have told them everything. <laughs> like, So the warning label is, I asked Matthew when we were talking, I said, have you shown this to your wife yet? He says, not yet. So now I got my caution flag up for him. Yeah, you might want to think about yeah. it. <laughs> Summer reading. But actually spouses could use it to their advantage, right? It kind of... That's primarily how I use this. In the world at work, 
I would say the most common use for this stuff is in the recruiting and hiring process. People will do assessments. They've done studies and surveys within their job categories, and they kind of do sample templates and ranges and what have you. And they try to use this, incorporate this in their hiring process. And like, you know, there's some people who, I mean, there's some attributes that we could tell you are highly indicative of successful salespeople. So if you get somebody applying for the job and there's not one part of this that says they've got a sales bone in their body, they may think they are, but this could point out to you that, well, while the desire may be there, it's going to be an uphill battle for them because the behaviors required to succeed in selling, which we validated because we've done the research on our existing people, there's a high correlation to people who have this profile and sales success. And now I'm looking at a potential candidate who's not even remotely close to it, we could say that the probabilities of their success are going to be very low. And from that, you would make, you know, what are good, decent hiring decisions. But in my world, which is more coaching, and I'm trying to get people to be more open and honest with themselves, I'm using this as a self-reflection tool. I'm also using it as an open door to vulnerability. Because the way I use it in a group setting is I ask people to pick an attribute that they saw in red, which was extremely positive, and to tell everyone how that is very useful and contributes to their success at work. And then I say, now take the exact same attribute and tell us why it's not so helpful, why it's unattractive why it may put people off, why it may cause you issues. Because what I'm getting at is I'm verifying there's no good or bad profile because the truth is your strength is also your weakness. And so if we jump off there just for a minute, just put a bookmark there for me, Matthew, so I'll come back to that. Back to assuming I'm doing some coaching with you, I'm going over your profile. The first thing I've done is tell you no good or bad. The second thing I do is, what do you think? You give me face validity. And then I go back and say, so let me just go over what we measured. And I take people through this graphical data representation, which you can find if you page back to like page 22 or 23 of the report, you'll see this bar chart. It's a graph. It's on page 22. Mm -hmm. And that graph is basically the bell curve at 50%. It's stood on its side. And the measurement, it measures four things, dominance, influence, steadiness, and compliance. And it measures the extent to which they are present or absent, both naturally and in some form of adaptation. And the way you read it is, my natural profile is my home base. That's my core, my motivation, my behavioral preferences. I jump off from there. That's where I operate under pressure. That's where I'm most comfortable. That's where my behavior is predictable. And then on the other side is this other graph called adapted. And you look at the adapted and compare it to the natural for the purpose of saying, what is it I'm trying to adjust? Like, why do I perceive a need to adjust? And the one on the right, the natural graph, isn't going to change much by our mid-20s. Combination of your early growth environment and something genetic has caused this to solidify. And longitudinal studies doing these over and over again, you won't see that change much. If you did, the instrument would be completely and utterly useless for us. We couldn't use it because 
if you get a different report every single time you do it, well, where were we going to predict anything, right? Mm-hmm. So we pretty much know that this hardwiring is firmed up by the mid-20s. The adaptive style changes all the time. It's always moving. And if you take a look at, you know, Matthew's report, he doesn't show very much changing between one side and the other. What I'm saying there is this guy is in a good comfort pocket. He's not under a whole lot of pressure to sort of change or adapt or sees any need to be more or less of what he already is. The differences that are there on the report are just not even worth mentioning. They have no statistical significance, a couple of points here or there. So what's useful in this particular case for anyone, if there's a huge disparity between adapted and natural, there's a pretty good chance that person is under stress. Because here's the way I am naturally, and then I look over here to this other adaptation, and I'm trying to stretch way out of some other zone. Maybe it's a naturally introverted, introspective, analytical person, and somebody put them at the customer service desk where they have to greet people with a happy face and a smile, and adapted style is this huge yellow bar of influence. And oh my God, you know, that's not their comfort zone then question is, can I put them on the front desk and expect them to succeed? Eh, for a day or two, maybe a week. But if that's a job every day, seven or eight hours a day, it's going to be exhausting. Notice I don't say they can't do it. They could. Teach them how to smile, teach them how to look up. Teach them, you know, In other words, what is not a natural behavior, I'll teach you what that looks like. But then you're using the force of your will to act that way because that's what you need to do. Well, that takes energy. It takes a lot of energy and eventually it tires you out. So the more changes you need to make to be successful in the work, the harder it is. And in this case, I don't see big changes. So now I can tell you what those four constructs are. Dominance is the red one. Influence is the yellow one. And Steadiness is the green one and compliance is the blue one. And everything that's above that 50% line, we say is presence. So you have a high presence of influence and a high presence of steadiness. And then you look down below and you'll see a lower presence of the dominance and a lower presence of compliance. So based on the absence and the presence, we get a profile. And each of those constructs means something different. Dominance is about autonomy and control. And people who have high amounts tend to be assertive and confident, bold and daring. And people who have low amounts are more supportive and accommodating, collaborative. In the influence, it's a measure of the social orientation. When it's like you have, it's very high. And then it's a very outgoing, people-oriented. It's very expressive, very enthusiastic and communicative and warm with people. And if it's absent, it's very introspective. Those are the difference between introverts and extroverts. And the green is a measure of pace, like people with high amounts, the way you have, are very methodical and systematic. They move slowly because they like things in a sequence. They like to have order. They like to have some kind of understanding of what's coming next. Uh, People with an absence of that trait are very frenetic and very high energy, very fast-paced, moving, darting. And then over here in the compliance side, that's attention to detail and the need for real precision and order and correctness. And you have an absence of that, which means you're not overtly a naturally detail-oriented guy. You will get details down to the point that it's helpful in your job, in your work, but you don't sweat them. 
So if I step back from this whole thing, I have a fairly outgoing, highly empathetic, calm, even demeanored guy who's supportive and caring and accommodating and who doesn't, you know, get mired down. He's big picture, likes a degree of sort of let it fly. I'll figure it out. Mellow might be the word at some (laughs) point, only until the reverse of these traits comes in. When are you not mellow? When you're not pleasing people, you're not mellow when somebody is picking you apart on every error and every mistake. You're not mellow when somebody is cracking the whip, hurry up. And you're not so mellow when people are not being kind and considerate. And they're not giving you time to digest what the game plan is. So in the end, no perfect profile, just profiles. And that's quickly what's going on with this. Those are the predominant traits I said there was a second set of measurements, so I'm going to swing to those very quickly. Okay. Go back all the way down to the ages 26 and 27. These are the general characteristics of your motivations, the why of how you behave. And when we take a look at them, there's 12 driving forces. You have four primary, objectivity, command, structure, and selflessness. These are basically belief systems, underlying value systems that you, first and foremost, when it's looking at your surroundings, you're a very functionally driven guy. I'm not you know, necessarily worried about the artistic merits of it. I'm worried about its functionality. I was in the office furniture business, and there are people who designed offices to make statements and to have some kind of feeling and The designers were extremely good at looking at harmonics and form and function. And they were able to take something that they believed about the person who owned the space and communicate that in the way it looked. And its design actually communicated something. I have an architect client and the work that they do is stunning in its nature. But part of why they're so successful is that they create every single project based on an intimate connection with the client and who the client is and how the client wants to express their space. On the other hand, we have the objective-oriented people who actually, if they were looking for a desk, just give me a horizontal flat surface and a couple of cinder blocks because I'm here to actually go get the work done. This is the functionality. I need a place to sit. I need a place to eat. And so when you go into a space or you look around harmonically, you're asking more, does this work? Not how does it look? The next one is your Mm. command value system. People with a high level of this power are actually driven by recognition, status, control, and personal freedom. And it's important. And that gives you some dominion over who you are and how you roll and what your life looks like. And you put a high emphasis on that. Power gets a bad rap because everyone assumes it's negative. It's not. It's neutral. In this case, it's neutral. Power can be used poorly and it can be used benevolently. So, But some people don't care if they have any at all. And other people say, no, I want some. And you do. Structure is about 
traditional approaches and proven methods and a system for living. So there's a good belief system that's kind of residing underneath you. There's some sort of method to your madness. There's rights and wrongs in general. These will show up in your social value systems and how you treat people and social justice and the like. It will also show how you work. Like you like a workflow, you like a work stream, you like a sense of order. I like to see what's coming next. And then selfless is the last one. And that is people who are engaged in the completion of their work for its very own sake. You're not looking for the necessary sort of, what do I get when I get this done? You can actually approach your work and get the enjoyment out of it for its own sake. I'm going to get things done. Why? Because I love getting them done. They stand on their own. At the opposite end of that is what we call the resourceful driving force. And people who have that are very driven by what I'm going to get as a consequence of doing what I'm doing. And so salespeople are highly motivated by commission and getting the money. So when I go out and I sell, I want money. I want the reward. So now I've got these kind of four underlying motivators and I've got those characteristics at the top. And that kind of gives us a flavor of your core. I'm going to shut up and tell me what's been coming up as you've been listening, because I'm sort of using a much looser sort of way of describing things based on integrating my experience and anecdotal and examples. But I'm taking the data as I'm looking at it, and I'm giving you a little more high flavor freewheeling discussion about it. And the question is what stuck, what didn't stick, and how do you feel about it? Well, so it's interesting, the piece about the environment and functionality is true. I'm I'm never really that concerned with aesthetics. I'm more concerned with, does it work? You know, is it functional? Yep. Will it be effective? Even the audience can't see this. I'm sure one day we'll share it. But, you know, if you look at my studio here behind me, it's not elegant, but it is effective. I'm able to do my job very effectively down here. And I've thought yep. about how to make it look prettier, but it's not a priority. The idea of the commanding people who are driven by status, recognition, and control over personal freedom. It's funny because I'm not interested in status, but I would seek out more personal freedom. I feel like that is sort of a measure of success is, am I doing enough that I don't have to do things? <laughs> if that makes any sense in the world. <laughs> it does. Structure, yeah, I definitely like structure. That's just, yeah, that's a fact. I like systems in place. If the system's broken, we fix it, we move forward. Change can be difficult, but often necessary. As long as I can fit it into a system, it's it's okay. And it's funny, the whole thing about completing the task for the sake of completion, you know, I don't have that sense that I'm looking for the payday or I'm looking for the accolades or anything like that. But I do have a weird sense of, getting things done for the sake of then, you know, having it done. That's right. That's exactly what that construct is measuring. Right. It's not that I need that solid feedback on it, but it feels good for a task to be done so I can move on to whatever else is I want to move on to. That's correct. So what I want you to do for the listeners to keep this personal, go back up to the beginning on pages four and five and those general characteristics. You know, as people have gotten to know you and hear you on the other end of the microphone during our episodes, Tell us about those characteristics and tell me one or two of them that you just read there that you know sound quite true. Like it's not in question in your mind. Yeah, that's me. And then tell the listeners how that brings goodness and the positivity behind it and how the exact same thing 
actually has a negative side or a challenge to it? Well, I mean, the first three sentences right off the bat are, you know, family oriented. Um, I'll go to great lengths to ensure the happiness of personal or work family. I'm eager to please others. So I will do a lot of things in order to make others happy to, you know, make sure that they are satisfied with the results. And even if it's sometimes to my own discomfort, which to me has always been why I think I provide such great customer service for the clients and for the people that I work with. Yep. I will take the call. I will answer the email. You know, I will get up. If I see an email at 530 in the morning about a podcast that's not launching, I will go try and fix it immediately because that will make the person happy and their happiness not that their happiness is what's important, but knowing that I provide that high quality of service is why they stay with me. I'm not perfect because I'm not, you know, super detail oriented, but I'm there. I'll fix things. I'll pivot, whatever I have to do. But at the same time, I think that also is a negative because it means maybe I don't value myself where I should in many instances. And maybe I give away too much or you know, maybe I am too flexible when clients say, well, but can you do it this way? And I really don't want to, but I'll say, sure. You know, because I'm always looking for that other's happiness, I'll often bend over backwards in a way that might be uncomfortable and problematic and, you know, stretch myself thin. So I think that's a great place to, you know, sort of come to the end of this. What you just did was, I thought, a beautiful synopsis about how using a behavioral assessment can help you understand there is no perfect profile and your strengths are absolutely beautiful in the world and useful to what we do. I certainly am the beneficiary from the time we've been working with each other of that exact thing, your desire to please, your desire to do it well for its own sake, like the quality of what you do. You're just one of those guys who cares because that's important by itself. I actually have found it very wonderful. And then at the same time, you know that you risk being taken advantage of or you risk losing a sleepless night because you're trying to make somebody happy who's never, ever going to be happy. And you might be chasing that and it's going to be exhausting or you might worry way too much about what other people think of you, even though you would like to present yourself as, I don't care, the data tells me that's BS, you do. So in the end, there's a lot of profiles like this in the world And these are the people who make the world a positive, enjoyable place to be. They're always helping someone. And then they will even put the other person's happiness ahead of their own. And that is, I just don't ever want you to tire yourself out too much. Because some people will never be happy no matter how hard you try. So I'll stop there because I think... We might be a little long on our episode. <laughs> yeah, we did go a little long, so I'll, I'll skip some of the formalities and just say, you know, if you want to read my personality assessment, I'm going to make it available in the show notes for this episode at sheerclarity.com. If you're interested in hiring Kevin to have one of these assessments done for you, you can do that. We will put a link in the show notes as well where you can order one of these personality assessments, fill out the form, and then uh, you can get that done. If everybody wants to do it, it might take a little bit of time, but certainly if you think that this is a valuable resource,
close to you, it is well worth the time and well worth money to invest in getting something like this done. As always, we just want to thank you for joining us here on SheerClarity.com. We implore you and invite you to join us next week where you will get just a ton of great information and resources that will help you become the consummate leader by attraction. Learn more, subscribe today, follow us, connect with us, all of that at SheerClarity.com. He's J. Kevin McHugh. I'm Matthew Passy. We'll see you next time on Sheer Clarity. Mm